everybody to Sestas Podcast, the place where you can learn again insights about the cryptocurrency industry. I'm your host, Eric, and today we are going to talk about the evolution of Bitcoin's narrative since its genesis. It's basically, what is the narrative around Bitcoin use case? And as we are going to see, it changed many times since 2009, with more than 7 different narratives coming and going with time in only 10 years of existence. The least we can say is that things move fast in crypto. So stay tuned to this episode, this is going to be very interesting for you if you are new to this industry and you will get a deeper understanding of where we are now and where we are headed. Now, without further ado, let's get started. As you know, Bitcoin has no leaders. So Bitcoiners refers to the white paper and the early days forum post to attempt to understand what Satoshi Nakamoto truly wanted for the currency. But the truth is, nobody can decide what Bitcoin is, not even its creator. That's the whole point of a, you know, of an open, borderless, decentralized and censorship resistant network like Bitcoin. We all decide what Bitcoin is useful for and from that we arrive at a consensus. Some people see Bitcoin as digital cash, others as cheap global payment system, others as digital gold. We all have different views of what it is, but nobody can decide on what it is. Only what we are using it for is make, making it what it is. So these narratives changes as Bitcoin grows. Let's review these narratives in order of appearance according to Nick Carter. So the first narrative that, that was proposed, of course, is the eCash proof of concept. The first major narrative. This was the general general view of Bitcoin in its early days. Back then, uh, cyberpunks and cryptographers were still appraising the nascent project and determining whether it worked or it will fail, basically. Um, one Bitcoin was valued at $1. People were saying, oh, Bitcoin is this uh, digital cash. And of course, you can blame them because even the white paper says Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. The second narrative was cheap peer-to-peer -peer payment network. This was extremely popular at the time and some believed that this is what Satoshi had in mind when he created Bitcoin. He created a straightforward currency for peer-to-peer -peer internet transaction, basically a decentralized PayPal or a Venmo, if you will. Since microtransactions are a key component of internet commerce, proponents of this view generally believe that low fees and convenience are an, uh, an essential characteristics of such a currency. Of course, uh, when the network was, um, uh, was very low in 2017, at some point, uh, you know, people paid transaction fees of $20. So, this narrative fall apart. The third narrative that was uh, popular was censorship resistant digital gold. And we have to say that this is quite popular today as well. The counterpoint to the P2P payment narrative basically, because cash and digital gold, digital cash and digital gold are opposites. You don't spend gold, you save it. Um, because it's a store of value and currency, paper, cash, uh, is inflated by the central banks and 
it loses value every day. So gold and cash don't serve the same purpose. And people who see Bitcoin as digital gold uh, don't say that you have to spend it uh, for every transaction. Um, you know, you don't have to use it for every day transaction. Agreeing that security, uh, predictability and conservatism in development are more important. Basically, there's there will only be 21 million coins in Bitcoin and nobody can change the currency supply of Bitcoin. When um, the Fed, central banks all around the world are printing money like crazy. Uh, money printer go brr is a very, very famous meme that you might have encountered. And the difference between gold and Bitcoin, uh, especially for this narrative, is that nobody can seize your Bitcoin. So it's censorship resistant digital gold. This is huge because uh, throughout history, there was many times like in 1971 when uh, Nixon took off the gold standard and basically we entered the fiat system. Americans were not allowed to own gold and you know, some people still own gold, but many of them give it up. Where in Bitcoin, if you have your keys, it's your coins. Nobody can take it. Nobody can do it or, you know, whatever they want, they can't take it. So, you know, you basically just have to remember 12 word or 24 word, uh, word seed to, to, to store your coins uh, in your head. So basically you can literally store Bitcoin in your head. This is crazy. This is you know, a characteristic that not uh, none, you know, any other um, thing like gold, silver, um, all that store of value. Nobody can do what Bitcoin can do, especially having money in your head. That's that's just mind blowing. And the fourth, the fourth one was private, private and anonymous darknet currency. I don't really agree with this one, but it's true that at some point the view uh, we people viewed Bitcoin. Uh, I mean, they, they were thinking that Bitcoin is useful to anonymous online transaction. Uh, and, you know, obviously Bitcoin is not anonymous. So this is, you know, failed from the start, uh, in particular to facilitate black market online commerce. This is what the use case was about. Um, I think this narrative was basically pushed by the media and by people who want to wanted to attack uh, Bitcoin because you know we were treated like uh, Bitcoiners are criminals, they're drug dealers, they're rapers, there's you know you know <laughs> child pornography and all those you know horrible things, terrorism, everything. They put everything on Bitcoin, um, which is of course not used anymore in the darknet currency uh, there's because bitcoin is is not an anonymous it's pseudo anonymous but it's not anonymous it's open <laughs> so it's, it's the contrary actually the fifth narrative was reserve currency for the cryptocurrency industry this is the view that bitcoin serves an essential purpose as the native currency for all the cryptocurrency or crypto assets this is a view um, that was proposed basically by traders, I guess, from whom BTC is numeraire, uh, basically it's currency. And 
Additionally, traders, businesses, and distributed networks that hold reserves in BTC or in Bitcoin um, endorse this view because uh, you know many traders they don't go back to uh, fiat. Uh, basically, they they trade altcoins to gain more bitcoins, and that's basically what this narrative is all about. The sixth. Sixth narrative was programmable shared database. This is a slightly more niche view and generally involves the understanding that Bitcoin can be embedded. Uh, you know, you can basically add data to Bitcoin transactions, not just currency transactions. And individuals holding this view tend to see Bitcoin as a programmable uh, expressive protocol, which can facilitate broader use cases. In 2015-2016, it was very popular to express the notion that Bitcoin will eventually absorb a diverse set of functionalities through sidechains. And projects like Namecoin, Blockstack, DOS, Rootstock, and some others uh, for timestamping services, they all rely on this view of the protocol. The seventh narrative is the uncorrelated financial asset. This is a view of Bitcoin that is pretty new and that treats it strictly like a financial asset and finds its most important feature to be its return distribution. In particular, it's the, the tendency to have a low or non-existent correlation to all the manner of indexes. Basically, Bitcoin is not correlated to the stock market. Basically, that, that's what it means. Of course, all these narratives they don't come one after the other. They are all all still here, somehow, some way. More are more popular than others, but all these narratives still exist. Some people still see Bitcoin as eCash, some as a cheap payment network, some as anonymous starknet currency, even if that's few people right now. Reserve currency for crypto. Censorship resistant e-gold and programmable shared database and uncorrelated financial asset. All these narratives coexist together. And probably the more popular right now is censorship resistant e-gold because with all this madness and this quantitative easing, this, uh, this money printing done by the Fed who just literally during this crisis printed trillions and trillions of dollars. This is crazy. I think they, they printed something like $2 trillion in three months. This is absolute madness. And all this money that is created is not given to people. It's basically given to the stock market, so to, to rich guys. And it's basically stealing people's money. And that's why more and more people all around the world are buying Bitcoin in order to escape this financial mess that the fiat system is. Because if you ask a Venezuelan, an Argentinian or in Lebanon right now, people now are realizing that cash, that their fiat has no value. And that's really, really sad because you don't need to understand money until it stops working. And when it stops working, it's too late. So people who are investing in Bitcoin right now are basically people who are aware 
of how money works, what money really is. And more and more people are getting aware, especially today with this crisis. I, mean, I think this crisis, even if it was horrible, could have some benefits in the future. Many people start to question things. Many people start to learn things and start to get information into their head about how the world works, how money works, how uh, the health system works, how politics and you know TV news and stuff like that. I think this is positive overall. Okay, so if you look at the different narratives that are coexistent, you'll notice that some of the visions of Bitcoin are entirely incompatible. For instance, a move to a global on-chain payment network conflicts with the digital gold view. You can't be uh, a payment network and digital gold at the same time. Or maybe I don't. Maybe maybe I don't. I don't understand something. But I think you can. But nobody can decide what Bitcoin is at the end. So that's why we have forks. And forks is when the chain split in two because there are two different views that are in conflict with each other, like the cheap payment on chain and the censorship digital gold. These two cannot coexist. So at some point, one will be right, one will be maybe right, but there might be a fork. And we have seen this in the past. In the past, there was, um, you know, when the fight began um, with the release of Bitcoin XT, BXT, in 2015. Although, uh, you know, the real shock happened when Bitcoin Cash forked in 2017, when Bitcoin fees um, reached all-time high. Basically, like I said, people were paying twenty dollars uh, in Bitcoin fees, uh, which is obviously not viable. The community was arguing about. The increase of the block size to increase uh, to decrease the uh, transaction fees and transaction time and then in 2018 when the lightning network came there was still people uh, arguing about what Bitcoin is and what it should be well there is no single view that entirely dominates the digital gold narrative is certainly most prevalent right now the civil wars of 2015 and 17 ended with the Bitcoin Cash fork and migration to the other P2P payment faction like Litecoin, Dash and Nano. And if you're joining the industry today, you are finding yourself in an unusual, calm industry. And while there is no single view that entirely dominates, the digital gold narrative is certainly the most prevalent right now. I hope you learned a lot and I'll see you on the next one. Bye bye.